0: If you're new here to Oak Mountain, we want you to know that we believe this is a church where you can feel safe admitting that your heart needs a surgeon. We are a group of people that run to the Father again and again and again and again. I am a pastor who desperately needs the great physician to do surgery on my heart again and again and again and again. And I pray he does some fresh surgery using the anesthetic of grace to protect us as he does surgery on us this morning. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings 17. We're taking one more break from our series in 1 Samuel. We come to the conclusion of our Global Missions Conference, and as we conclude, we have an opportunity to respond, to respond to all that we've heard in a unique way, and we've heard a lot over the past seven days. I hope you remember hearing that we now know that there is a Christian in every nation on this planet. That is good news. There is a Christian in every nation on this earth. Now, that doesn't mean the Great Commission is fulfilled because there are large people groups who are yet unreached. As a matter of fact, when we talk about global missions, we can break the world down into three specific groups. The first group are called unreached peoples. Now, what unreached people groups are, are populations where less than 2% of the people are evangelicals. Now, an evangelical is just another word for our conversation of a true Christian. Someone who believes the Bible is the Word of God, believes Jesus is the only only way to heaven. Uh, They understand their need for Jesus. They understand the promises of grace uh, through Christ's finished work. And they've put their trust in Christ alone. So, bona fide Christians... Unreached people group, less than 2% of the population is Christian. By the way, the next group are unevangelized people groups. And that's where there are greater than 2% evangelicals, but large amounts of non-Christians nonetheless. Why? Well, in many cases because the whole place has been Christianized, but so few people are truly believers. Like it could be right here, right now. The gospel is preached here. A lot of us are Christians, but there may be people here who are nominal Christians, who are cultural Christians. When it comes to unevangelized people groups, you're talking about large numbers of people where it's just cultural or nominal Christianity. And then the third group is reached peoples. That would be greater than 2% evangelical. And there is a church nearby. There's church plants. There's believers nearby. There's Bibles all over the place. Uh, America, for instance, would be a reached people. Now, how does that break down as far as the world? Unreached people group, less than 2% evangelical no nearby churches, no nearby church planting movements, no nearby believers, very few Bibles available. Three billion people. Billion. That's with a B. Billion. And guess how much of our mission force goes to those 3 billion people, a third of the world's population, 3% of the mission force goes to reach unreached people groups. Then you have unevangelized people groups, more than 2% evangelical, but cultural Christians, nominal Christians, like Pew Research and other places would say they're 96% Christian. But they're not. They're just nominal cultural Christians. Places like Ireland, Denmark, where Catherine is, Bulgaria, and Taylor. Guess what percentage of the missions force goes to those countries? 25%. That leaves... 72% of the current mission force that goes to reached countries. Now, I'm not being critical. All all I'm doing is stating facts. I I understand there is an argument. Strike the iron while the iron's hot. Uh, Go with God. Where God's at work, follow Him. And, And so there's a sense in which you can say, the 72 the, the percent of the mission force that's going to the reached peoples, uh, maybe there's just more fruit there. But certainly certainly our God and king would want a little bit more balanced. And then it comes to how do we send more missionaries? evangelicals in the world have all the resources at their disposal that God has given them to reach the world for Christ. It's it's not a resource problem. There are more than enough evangelicals in the world and more than enough financial resources in evangelical pockets to reach the world for Christ. But the average evangelical... Only gives less than about $2,000 a year to any Christian cause. It's like 2% of our income. And $117 in the past 12 months to anything related to global mission. And one tenth of 1% of our income in the past 12 months to reach the 3 billion in the unreached people group. This isn't a guilt trip. I hope it's a wake up call. We can do this, God has given us the resources. We need to pray, boast in the gospel, and take action. The reason why I've chosen First Kings chapter 17 is it involves cross-cultural missions. It involves the most unlikely of supporter of missions. And God can use it to call us to get engaged. Last week, our speaker, Michael O., the Global Executive Director of the Lausanne Movement for World Evangelization, I've been a Christian for 40 years. He shared what I would say is... One of the most challenging statements I've ever heard as a Christian. I don't, you guys have been here for a while. I don't say that often. One of the most challenging statements I've ever heard in my 40 years of walking with Christ. He gave us three numbers: 100, 10, 1. 100, we're going to talk about from the text this morning. Seek grace from God to have our hearts in 100% alignment with the heart of God when it comes to global missions. That's a worthy aim. And then the number one, I'm going to skip 10 for a second, the number one we've been praying about for a while, and that is trusting God to raise up 1% of Oak Mountain's membership to actually go overseas vocationally on the mission field. And we're seeing him start to do things like that, which is encouraging. But the one that blew my mind was the 10. Michael said, consider a second tithe. This one, just to global missions. Do you realize that only 13% of evangelicals give the first tithe? These are people who believe the Bible is the Word of God, believe Jesus is the only way, say they're filled with the Spirit. 13% of evangelicals even give the first tithe. And Michael's suggesting that we give a second 10% to global evangelization. I was so undone by that that I talked to Tom. I said, I got to do something. He said, Well, can you raise your faith promise by 1% of your total income every year? I said, I, I guess. So Laura and I have talked, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to move toward a second tithe, and we're going to increase our faith-promised emissions by 1% of our total income until we get there. I'm not saying you're supposed to do that. I'm just telling you that I was convicted in a way that I rarely am by that statement there's something in me that longs to see Jesus Christ loved and worshiped and trusted and served among the nations first kings first and second kings deal with the kings and the kingdoms the reigns if you will from solomon all the way to Jehoiakim. Solomon, of course, was David's son. Jehoiakim was the last king of the southern tribes of Judah when Judah rebelled and was brought into exile. The exiles were in Babylon, modern day Iraq. They were carried off from Jerusalem in 586 B.C. First and Second Kings was written as history of events that happened a couple hundred years earlier to the exiles in the 500-400 B.C. range. And First and 2 Kings was written for the exiles that they might understand why they ended up in exile and they would repent. But it was also written to show them how exiles can live in a hostile pagan world as they found themselves in Babylon. It also was written to spur them in their exile to see themselves as missionaries outside of the promised land to reach the nations for Christ. The events of 1 Kings 17 occurred around 870 BC. 1st and 2nd Kings written about 500 BC for the exiles. So 1 Kings 17 is to be read by the exiles to move them to repentance, deeper faith, and toward mission. Guess what? 1 Kings 17 is therefore written for us in 2023 that we would be moved to repentance, that we would be moved to deeper faith, and that we would be moved to mission. So with that, Long introduction. Let's stand out of reverence for God's Word and follow along as we read First Kings 17, verses 1 through 16. This is God's Word. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, that's the king, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him. "'Depart from here and turn eastward "'and hide yourself by the brook Kareth, "'which is east of the Jordan. "'You shall drink from the brook, "'and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. "'So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. "'He went and lived by the brook Kareth, "'that is east of the Jordan. "'And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning "'and bread and meat in the evening, "'and he drank from the brook. "'And after a while,' The brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, "'Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you.' So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, "'Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink.' And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us. He wants us to see and experience his heart for the nations. He wants to call us into the grand narrative of what he's doing on this planet. He wants us to experience his grace and power as he uses us in mission. Let's pray. Father, open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, move in us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So the theme is all things new, three new works of grace that we trust God to do in us through this passage. First of all, gain a new vision for the missionary heart of God. All through this passage, remember, written for the exiles in Babylon, God is trying to reveal to them and to us his missionary heart. He orchestrates a drought in Israel. Why? Well, let me talk about Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab was the most wicked king of all the kings north and south, Israel and Judah, capital of Samaria in the north, capital of Jerusalem in the south. Ahab, of all the kings north and south, was the most wicked. Now, one of the reasons he was so wicked was because of the wife that he married. By the way, singles, it matters who you marry. Women, it matters what man you marry. Men, it matters what women you marry. It just so happens in this particular passage, it was Ahab who married poorly. He married Jezebel. Now, Jezebel was a worshiper of Baal. Baal was the idol or counterfeit god of the pagans for fertility. It was a very immoral worship cult, as you can imagine, the god of fertility. So God, in order to remind Ahab in order to remind Israel in 870, in order to remind the exiles in 500s and 400s in Babylon, and in order to remind us, says only the the Lord is God. He is the living God. This so-called God of fertility, I'll show you how impotent he is. He's the God of rain. Okay, I'm not going to let it rain for three and a half years. And you'll realize the gods of the nations are empty. Only the living God is the true God. That's why all of this happened. And then God says to Elijah in verse 3, Depart from here. Leave your nation. Leave your land. Leave your people. Depart from here. This sounds just like the Great Commission where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Our living God has all authority. Baal has none. All authority has been given to me. People in the 500s, people in 2023, all the power has been given to Jesus. So Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations of the earth. That's called the Great Commission. God has a missionary heart. After a while, the brook dried up, and look at verse 9. Arise, go. you see this theme in this passage? Depart, arise, go. Leave your home, leave your nation, leave your people. Go east, first of all, across the Jordan. Then go west, all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. Jesus used this very text to teach on the missionary heart of God. He was in his hometown. They didn't like what he was saying. Jesus says, it is interesting that there were many widows among God's people in his day. But God didn't send Elijah to one of the Jewish widows. He He sent him to a Gentile widow. He sent them to the actual very center of Baal worship. Zarephath, Sidon, was actually Jezebel's home territory. Cross-cultural missions. God's always been that way. When God created the covenant community in Genesis 12, he says to Abraham, I will bless you and your children after you. And then he says in Genesis 12, verse 3, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Do you hear that? That's you if you know Jesus. In and through you, God's desire and plan is every family on the planet will be blessed. You struggling with getting up in the morning because you just don't sense any purpose in life? Hello? Through you, God's desire is to bless every single family on the planet. How? How? As we capture and gain a new vision for his missionary heart. Acts 1.8. The whole reason the Holy Spirit was given. You want an encapsulation of the Holy Spirit? You receive power. but for tongues, for miracles, for all kinds of wild things? No, you receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. The reason the Holy Spirit was given was to teach us a new vision of the missionary heart of God. Our hearts need to be 100% aligned with God's heart, his missionary heart. You know, I read the other day, there's like 58 study Bibles. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I have some of them. ESV study Bible, got it. NIV study Bible, got it. Archaeological study Bible, got it. Life Application Study Bible. Got it. But there's a men's study Bible. There's a women's study Bible. There's a Mercy and Justice study Bible. 58 study Bibles. And they're not cheap. How do you gain a heart after God's missional heart? I'm going to give you the most least expensive way to ever get to study a study Bible get one of your Bibles. Get a highlighter. You already have a Bible. Highlighters are what? A buck fifty? And use that Bible for one purpose. Highlight every verse or passage that reveals God's missionary heart. And create a 59th study Bible just for you. Call it the missiological study Bible. And then... Begin to ask God to stir your heart after his heart. The other thing I would recommend besides creating your own study Bible is go on a short-term trip. Nothing will connect you deeply with God's missionary heart like going on a short-term trip. I'll never forget being with a group from Oak Mountain in Red Square in Moscow in front of Lenin's tomb facing the Kremlin and having prayer. Lives changed that day. Or being in China or India or Uganda, praying with people, asking for God's missionary heart to be poured out on us. We will never engage deeply with missions. Until we connect deeply with God's heart for missions. gain a new vision of the missionary heart of God. Secondly, gain a new ownership of the missionary call of God. Look at verse 9. God tells Elijah, I've commanded a widow to feed you. That's the way God's always done it. He uses illustrations of do not muzzle the ox. But what he's saying is when God calls someone to go to the nations, he also calls people to send them with prayer and with financial support. Now think about this. Of all people, why would God call and command a single mom to be the vessel that he's going to use? I'll tell you why. Because God wanted to double bless the widow. First of all, he wanted to give the widow the satisfaction of being connected to his heart for the nations. And he wanted the widow to experience the joy of supporting a missionary who was going to topple Baal. But secondly, he wanted to show the widow that as she was willing to live by faith, And give first to global missions. She was going to be able to experience the power of God. He chose the unlikeliest of candidates to command to support Elijah. So that she might experience a double blessing. You know, in Luke 10... Another passage that reveals the parts we play in global missions. Jesus says to the disciples in Luke 10, take no money bag. Why? Because we are God's ravens. We're the ones that He commands to feed the missionaries morning and evening. Jesus goes on to say, take no backpack and wear no extra bring no extra pair of sandals. Why? Because we're the widow. We're the ones God commands to be engaged and involved intentionally with global missions. Listen, this is why we have faith promise. This is why we make global missions a completely separate category of giving. Michael Lowe talked about the first tithe. The first tithe, the first 10% of our income is to go to the general fund that, play, that, that helps uh, pay for, for um, United States ministries and mercy and, and those kinds of things. And then the staff and the programs and the ministries. That's the first tithe. The second tithe, our second bucket, is global missions, faith promise. And that is trusting God to give through you by providing for you to give to global missions. Now, there's two ways to practice faith promise. Some people wait. They, make a, they have an idea of what God wants them, to tr- wants them to trust him with. And then they wait, and something unexpected happens. A tax refund, um, an insurance claim, an inheritance. I mean, who knows what. And then they, they give their faith promise because God provided. Now, Laurie and I, we, it's not that we do it the right way. We just do it differently. We figure out what God wants us to give, <laughs> add 1% of our total income to it, and, and then we just start giving it. We have it deducted every week, automatically, from our checking account. And so, <laughs> we have no choice. We, we put ourselves in a place of trust. And every single year, God shows up. It's unexplainable. It's like what happened to the widow. This passage is inexplicable. It's supernatural. And some of the reasons why we don't experience the supernatural is because we're not stepping out. We're not taking any risks. We're looking at our resources and making decisions. Instead of looking at God's resources and making decisions. It's amazing. (laughs) Elijah says... You first make me a little cake. This goes against every parenting instinct there is, right? This this goes completely against self-protection. Make it for me first. Afterward, make something for yourself. You know what's interesting about Oak Mountain? Our faith promise giving to missions has grown grown and grown and grown and grown and grown and grown and grown. It's really exciting. Last year's over $700,000 by this congregation to global evangelization. That's exciting. What's well, not exciting, and again, this is, I'm not shaming anybody. All I'm giving is facts. You guys deal with the facts however you want to. Fifteen years ago, 49% of our congregation participated by giving something, anything, global missions, 49%. Last year, our highest missional giving ever, 23%. So we have fewer and fewer and fewer people giving more and more and more and more. The old 80-20 rule, even in the church, Now, I'm only giving in the facts, and I'm not trying to shame anybody, but I hope that troubles you. I really hope that troubles you. I mean, you know my understanding of wanting to preach grace to everyone. But grace changes lives. Is grace changing yours? in these critical areas of idolatry with respect to generosity. The woman's life was changed. Like what Michael O. said last week, we got disposable plates, disposable cups, disposable forks, disposable spoons, and we have disposable income. Well, I looked up what disposable income in the Oxford English Dictionary means, Income remaining after the deduction of taxes and under mandatory charges available to be spent or saved as one wishes. If that's the definition, there is no disposable income for Christians. Income remaining after deduction of taxes and other mandatory charges available to be spent or saved as one wishes. As one wishes. If that's the definition, Christians have no discretionary or disposable income. Because we never live according to our own wishes. What we're called to do is to live according to God's wishes. And so when it comes to our income, and we pay our taxes and other mentory charges, what's left isn't according to our wishes. It's according to God's wishes wishes gain a new ownership of the missionary call gave a new vision of the missionary heart and lastly gain a new confidence in the missionary promises it all comes down to this look at verse 13 elijah says to the widow don't be afraid isn't that what you need to hear today it's what i need to hear Laura and I are convinced we're doing the right thing with respect to transition. But I'd be lying to you if I told you we weren't scared. You know, it's, it's hard to go backwards, as many folks know, in income. It's hard to go backwards in a budget. And then to consider giving more when you're going... Backwards? That's scary. If you don't believe me, ask my wife how scared I am. The widow was scared. And Elijah says, Don't be afraid. Isn't it amazing how often Jesus said, Don't be afraid? Look, I get it. What if the best thing that could happen to us in this church is that we finally got a little scared? Because we were stepping out. I, I have a feeling that many of us have arrived at the station of life we are in because we've been so calculated about everything. When's the last time you did something the world thought was foolish? When's the last time you did something that your Christian friends thought were foolish? When's the last time you stepped out and said, God, if you don't show up, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then look at verse 14. Why does the widow not be afraid? For thus says the Lord, the, the jar of flour will not be spent and the jug of oil will not be empty until the rain comes. Well, you say, Bob, the widow had promises. What do we got? Well... What about Second Corinthians nine eight? God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. And oh by the way, he's talking about missions giving. He's talking about generosity toward Jerusalem who's suffering a famine. and giving, so that they might see the gospel lived out. There's all kinds of promises related to missions. We can trust our God. If the widow could trust Elijah and believe his promise, how much more can we trust Jesus and believe his promises? If the widow could act on the promises, how much more can we act on the promises? Look at verse 15. She went and did, as Elijah said, She chose to act on the missionary promises. And in verse 16, the jar was not spent, the jug of oil never became empty. Jesus is our jar of flour. He will never be spent. His faithfulness toward us will never disappear. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Jesus is our jug of oil. His love will never fail. Like that song we sing, his love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. Jesus is our drug of oil. Jesus is our jar of flour. Will we trust him for the glory of his name? Isaiah 43, our theme passage, verse 19. God says, I'll make rivers in the wilderness. Why? Why? that my people might declare my praise. God delights in coming through for us when we engage in the things that engage his heart, like missions. We're going to take up a, a faith promise cards. Uh, what we found is uh, this is just a way to drive a stake in the ground. This is a way just to, to act on what we've been hearing. We're going to show a video while the ushers come forward. Look, I get it. Not everybody turns in a card. Matter of fact, half of our faith promise comes from people who don't turn in a card. This just gives us an opportunity for those who find it a helpful exercise of faith to drive a stake in the ground. But pray, while you watch this video, pray that God would give you a heart for the nations.
1: I love history, I've always loved history. I even just a couple weeks ago went home and was digging through my old room. My mom was like, can you get all those books out? I was like, yeah, I can do that. (laughs) And I think that definitely led uh, to me having that passion for global missions. When it was announced that we were going as the young professionals to Athens, Greece, I was like, when is it? Because I'm in. We were partnering with a church in Glyfada, which is kind of a suburb of Athens. Greece has a massive refugee situation that's been going on since way before 2013, but it got worse in 2013. First Evangelical Church of Glafada. They're bringing in these refugees, Iranian, Afghan, Pakistani refugees, and they're people that historically all hate each other also. And they're in a room, and they're sharing their culture with Greeks, with Americans, with just all these people, and it's just a mix of languages. They house them, they have apartments, and they help them get jobs, they help them do their paperwork, and through that, they get to just love them and show them genuine Christ. They've seen so many people come to know the Lord through this church, but it's a process and it's slow. And so getting to be there, we got to love on the pastor, George, and his wife, Phaedra and that's the beauty of short-term missions, is that it's about going and supporting and loving the people that are there full-time and that have those relationships. The relational and community aspect is extremely important when it comes to missions. Just having those healthy communities is so critical because in being able to come in those difficult moments, you know that person, you know them, you live life with them in the everyday, and now you're saying, hey, I can show up in these difficult moments, but I'm showing up because Christ shows up this well um, is something that can only be seen in those moments of community and those moments of consistency and getting to know that person, getting to know their family, who they are, why they are who they are. Something I've always known with being a member of a church and something that's deeply rooted with me is that service back to that church is a huge part of membership. So on this trip in Athens, I got to meet Tom Patton in Keske. It was an awesome time getting to be with them and have just conversations of, look, I love missions. I love cultures. This is something that I want to be a part of. But I just expected missions team is the you know, more seasoned veterans at the church. comes like, no, come on, come get a free dinner, come check it out. What a cool way to get to be involved with missions and with global missions and having such a world center focus in my mundane life in the United States, but getting to still check in with our missionaries and see what that's like. And that's just been such an amazing part of being on the missions team and getting to serve in such a way that I love getting to serve. Any way of getting involved in global missions, giving or being involved in the missions team, all very easy ways to be involved, but my favorite is to go. Seeing what's being done, and when you're looking through the prayer books and saying, Oh, I know these people, I know what their house looks like, I know what their church looks like, I know what the people that they're ministering to, I remember their faces. There's something beautiful about that prayer for us. Because the Lord's going to answer our prayer, but it's a gift that we get to have to know what they look like and to know what these people's stories are
0: god adores the nations god is not an american god God doesn't look like the typical American thinks he looks. We learn more about God the more we get involved in missions. May God bless this church even more. That we might be a blessing to every family on the planet. Let's all stand and hear our benediction. It's uh, the end of the missions conference and time for me to butcher Russian again. Hear the benediction.